Good morning, everybody. Thank you, band, for leading us. Appreciate that new song as well. It's great to uh, be with all of you guys. My name is Alex, and I'm the, the pastor here at Ridgeview. And like Joel mentioned, we're continuing our Lives and Letters series that we started uh, two weeks ago. And so we're on part three. And what we're doing is we're digging into letters written in the New Testament, which happened kind of about 2,000 years ago. And we're taking those letters and we're asking the question, how do these letters, the issues that people were facing, the content found in them, how do these letters apply to us today? And what you find as you dig into the Bible, that's always the question. How do we bridge from a culture and a world and an experience that people had thousands of years ago? And and how does God still speak to us today? And as you ask those questions, what you find out is that that's exactly what happens. God is the same today as he was a couple thousand years ago and a couple thousand years ago, and actually for eternity. And so God still speaks, and he speaks primarily through his word. And so as a church, what we always want to do week to week is always we want to dig into God's word and ask the question, what does God want to tell us today? And so we're digging into these letters to kind of figure out how do they apply to our lives. And we're looking at the lives of people that are actually just similar to us. They just lived in a different time, but they're human, just like we're human. They have same experiences, same concerns, same problems. And the Bible is actually relevant. And so in this series, we want to, like, how does this kind of speak into us, and how does God want to use this to speak? And so I hope today that you'll get the sense that God is speaking directly to you, just like he's speaking directly to me. And as we leave here, we'll have this sense, like, wow, God, God spoke. And that really is our goal every week, and that really is where life is found, the fact that the relevant God, the living God of the universe, still speaks. But before we dig into the letter, I want to talk a little bit about our lives, if I can, for a moment. Just where are we in our lives? And and for you personally, where are you in your life? Where are we as a culture, as a community, as a church? And as I look around, we have a lot going on in our life. I went to Costco on Friday night in the middle of all this stuff with coronavirus and everything. People are unsettled. You know, there's cases of water that people are just seeing. Is that open for me to grab out of somebody's cart, right? There's just kind of like we're in this sense of like, I haven't seen it before. It's unrest, Uh, especially for us in the West and the United States. We don't tend to be dealing with these issues that we can see like that people around the world deal with all the time just things that could wipe them out. And so we're kind of faced with just some, some reality of how life is, is fragile. And so we have this kind of going on on this global scale. And uh, at the end of the service, I wanna, I wanna just pray for, for those people that are really directly impacted by that. But what it's done is it's actually put ripples effect in our world somewhat. And what starts to happen is, is fear begins to, to build in people, and there's all the unknown. We have no idea what's going to happen, and then fear begins to creep in our lives and in our families, and we're impacted. And just like that, from a few weeks to the, where we are now, things can shift, and they can shift some more, and they can shift some more. So then I began to think, like, where, where are actually people personally? There's this sense of what's happening on this global scale, and it's giving in ripples just here and now, but what about us in, in, in our own personal lives? And I began to research, what's kind of the well-being of our country? Like, where are people? And an informal way to do that is, is to open like your Facebook page and ask the question, how are people doing? Have you done that recently? 
Well, it's, it's, it's crazy. Because either people are doing really, really good or really, really bad, and it just depends on who you look at on what day. So you can't really use that. But there's actually been some studies that, that have been done, and there's a, a woman who wrote a book called The Rhythms of Renewal. And uh, she follows Christ, and, and in her book, she's trying to figure out how can people find rhythms in their life that actually can renew them from day to day. But for her to talk about that, she's realizing that there's just a lot of things and a lot of obstacles people have to actually being renewed. There's a lot of things that people are dealing with. And so in her research, she, she found this, and she said this in, in, her, in her studies, but 77% of us right now in society are facing physical symptoms of stress. And so she's talking about stress and how it exhibits like physically outwardly, not just inwardly, but where it's physically on the outside impacting us. That's racing mind, shallow breathing, sleepless nights. As a result, we are collectively spinning out. So it's really interesting, rhythm of renewal, and she kind of sets you up by like, oh, wow, we kind of are a hot mess somewhat. We got a lot going on. We have a lot of issues that that we're facing. And so I began to look shallow breathing, sleepless nights, and then I thought, when was the last time I really had a good night of sleep? What about you? Like, I don't know. I don't sleep that great sometimes. And then like when I read shallow breathing, then I'm like, is it? Like, is my... You start like freaking yourself out. Like maybe I'm not getting my oxygen intake and then that gets overwhelming. Well, then she takes it a step further. Not just physical symptoms of stress. Then she she found this as well. There's a loneliness epidemic right now in society. So the fact that people are feeling all alone. 46% to almost half say they experience high feelings of loneliness. Not just random or not just somewhat, but high feelings. Like this is a constant thing people are dealing with. Almost half are dealing with with loneliness. 27% believe they don't have a real friend, one real deep friend. So one in four, over one in four, just they they look around, they're like, I don't know. I don't really have anyone. This is up to ages 38 and millennials. That's a problem because we're online talking to everyone, but connecting with no one. And so in her rhythms of renewal, she's also looking just as a culture, the fact that we're more connected than ever technologically, social media-wise, but we feel more alone. And, and we don't have to really have experts tell us that. Because at the end of the day, you could be online all day, but if you have no real connections with people, you, you still feel kind of empty, right? Like that's, that's common. So if this is true, then in this room, we're, we're feeling this as well. Feeling of, of loneliness, feeling of just life, just not quite, not quite together. So then I just decide, let's just take this a step further. How do you know if you're really stressed? And so I, I do what you guys do. I just Google that. I said, you know what? I'm going to just let Google tell me, which can be very dangerous, but sometimes it can be interesting. So I, I took a little uh, stress test, if you will. Googled it. Stress test comes. I like those little tests, you know? Five minutes tell me about every single thing that's wrong in my life, Okay. And so I want to share these questions, and they're not up here on the screen, but just see if, if you could answer like, yeah, I, I've experienced that. So this is just an informal survey. I'm taking what they did to me, and I'm passing it on to you, okay? First question. This, let's say the last month, last four weeks, last four weeks, okay? How often have you been upset because of something unexpected? The last four weeks in your life, how many of you have been upset because something you didn't see coming, like it was unexpected? Any of you? Okay, you don't, you don't have to say it, I'm, you know. Just 
put a little tally, okay? How often, so this is a number, how often do you feel nervous and stressed? I hate questions like that. I don't know. The fact that you're asking me kind of stresses me out. Like in a day? I don't know. Another question, how often do you feel that things are going well for you? So now they flip it. Now they want to know how how your outlook, do you actually have a positive outlook? So how often do you think that things are going well for you? I started thinking, ooh. If you wonder when was the last time you thought that, it means you don't think that a lot, right? Question four, how often have you been angry because of things outside of your control? Oh, wow, that got a little ripple effect. You're like, I don't know if that's for you or that person right there. And then number five, how often do you feel that there are too many difficulties for you to overcome? You look at your life and you look at your week, you look at all that you have on your plate and you just think like, how is that gonna work? How am I gonna figure this out? So then at the end of this survey, um, it it gave you like a gauge and it it basically told me, it's like, yeah, you're, you're stressed. And then that kind of stressed me out more because it was like, then I got a little defensive. Well, how do you know? Well, I just answered the questions. And then it gave you just a bunch of different things that you can do to try to alleviate the stress. But even at the end, even when you have this gauge, what, what do you do with that? And sometimes what happens when you're stressed, or you know, if anyone ever comes and says that, like, oh, you look tired. <laughs> you have friends that tell you that? You look, you look nervous, you look stressed, you look, time change Sunday, terrible, right? But what, what, do you, what do you do with that? So, so all of these things, people, we, we ask about, we're, we're wondering about, it's happening on a global scale, it's happening locally, it's happening in our homes, it's happening in our lives. There's actually a lot of us that deal with stress regularly. We deal with anger regularly. We deal with loneliness regularly. We deal with feeling overwhelmed. If you feel like this, that's normal. But feeling like that and just knowing it's normal can help somewhat, but you still have those, those feelings. You still have a reality that, that you're dealing with. So today's message is kind of this, this playing field like we're all on. Like we, we have common experiences, similar struggles, and they're different in nuances, but we're kind of in this experience of living this life on this earth. And as we dig into the book of Ephesians, we find that Paul, who wrote it, is writing to an audience that's similar to us. And so I want to just kind of set the the stage a little bit uh, for what he's speaking to and the the audience that he's speaking to, and then then we'll dig in. And so if you you have your handout, you'll find kind of the first part is Paul's letter uh, to the church, the Christians in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a city that's near modern-day Turkey. And I think there's a map right here. This is like a Google map. So this is the Ephesus Archaeological Museum. You don't see it like as a city because it's not there because it's just been buried. But because of the city, it was this popular, rich port city. And so it's actually this just rich find of all sorts of archaeological things. And so all these regions over here have so many archaeological sites because of what happened in the biblical times. And so here's Here's where Ephesus was, right on the coast here. 
Um, it was a, a wealthy city. Um, I think here's a picture of what it would have, you know, here's some of the things that have been excavated. You get this picture of just beauty and sophistication, and it, it actually reminds me of like another place. Look, look, let's look at this picture. Southern California. It's actually a lot of similarities. When you look at just the location, the weather, all the things that are kind of going, that the buzz, the, the money, and, and all these. And so Paul is writing to Christians who decided to follow Christ in this city in which everything is about appearances, everything's about making sure your life's all together, the grind of work. And I started to realize, like, actually, that sounds very similar to today. And everything I've talked about so far on stress oftentimes is just driven by this thing that we have that we just have to keep on this cycle of doing what we do. And Paul is writing, what's interesting, he's writing from this, the opposite of beauty. He's writing from a prison cell. I think there's a picture of what kind of a prison would have looked like there, somewhat similar to what they'd be like today. But he's writing from a prison cell to a group that all around them, they see beauty, they see money, they see power, they see success. And Paul is writing from a prison cell from the worst circumstances to people that may were in a lot better circumstances than him. So it's really interesting. He's writing from a place where he's at the bottom, but he wants them to see how much they really have, not in the outward, but in the inward, just like he's experiences. Because Paul wrote lots of his letters from prison, and you'd think a guy in that circumstance, would he have anything really helpful to say? If I'm in prison, most of my things that I'm writing, I'm, get me out, fight for my case, help me, help me. But, but Paul, in prison, wrote these letters to give some perspective about what life is really about. So it's interesting, Paul, because of his circumstances, actually has a depth to what he wants to say. And so in the book of Ephesians, in this letter is so many thematic just nuances of, of what it means to live the Christian life. But at the center of it all, at the center, he wants people who follow Christ, this church that was built, to remember the spiritual inheritance that they had been given. Not because of anything they were doing, not because anything they've earned, but because of their identity in Christ. And so Paul is going back and back and just reminding and reminding, this is, is who you are. But to remind them of who they are, and the same he wants to do today, he, he wants to remind us of who we were. And so I actually want to jump ahead in the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. And I want to start in Ephesians chapter 2, and here's his main premise. Without Christ, uh, we have a deficit that, that we cannot escape. Okay, so I, I, brought this, I brought this prop in here. When I was six years old, I don't know if you guys can see this. When I was six years old, I got this treasure chest. It's seen better days, like part of it's fallen off. I'm missing a leg. But in this, I had just these knickknacks that, like if there was a treasure that I ever found, I would put them in this, this treasure box. And I just used to collect everything. And I, I've held it to this day, and I took out actually all the treasures that I had in there. And as an adult, I thought, wow, those really were not as cool as I thought. You know, like a little knife, 
like that I got in Scotland when I was a kid and like a little like cufflinks I got. You know, some of the stuff I like when I was a kid, I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Now I'm like, eh, should I throw it? You know, you always, you know what I'm saying. So anyways, I, I just thought like, this is, this is how life is. And, and what Paul's saying is like all of us, we live life with, with, with our treasure box, okay? And we have our, our treasure box and we walk around and we, we hold it. And inside the treasure box, we have what we think life is all about. And so I began to think, uh, you know, in my own life, uh, what, what are some, some treasures? And, and I thought, well, uh, one of them is, is, is family. Like that's a treasure that we have, you know? And, and we, we walk around with, with that. And then another one is um, like success, that's, that's a treasure. Like we, have I made it? Have I kind of done what I, what I thought I could do? And, and then like, I'm just gonna be real. Like one of our treasures is like how we look, like our outward appearance, right? Like when you were younger, you really cared about that. And then after a while, you're like, what's the point? Anyone else? Like you kind of want to keep, you know, my wife and I, we keep joking with each other. She's like, you know, you, you may need to actually wear more than just jogger pants. And, but I'm at the point like, what does it matter? Well, because I'm a pastor and people will see me in public. That's probably something I need to, you know, I represent Ridgeview, okay? So, but, you know, eh. But that is a treasure, you know. You may still have that treasure. <laughs> Mine's fleeting. Uh, happiness, that's another treasure we have. Just like, my life's together. I, I feel good. I am good. Like, you know, that, that's one. And then another is uh, money. Like, just what's in your bank account, literally, like your treasure is your treasure. And then uh, your job, like, man, I have a great job. I love my job. It gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. That's one of the treasure. And then like, like car keys, depending on your car, this is your treasure. I have a 2008 Honda Odyssey that I drive around. That's my treasure. And I just roll up like my family's in like a little bit better car and I, I'm in the van and I just roll up to places like, yeah, I'm, I'm a dad. But I can store a lot of stuff, okay? So, so that could be your treasure. And then, and then some are just blank where you could, you could just write, write your own. So what Paul is saying is that in life, we, we are these people that we long for treasure. And all of these could be similar to what you've put in your treasure box Paul certainly had his own, and he was writing to an audience that had their own, but for the most part, they're all similar. And what Paul is saying is just like these post-it notes. If you go to cash these, and you go to God, and you say, God, this is what my treasure is, these actually are just like post-it notes. There's no real value that's gonna last because like your family, while it's valuable, doesn't last forever, Right? We get old, and we experience loss. And then your job, you can lose. Your success, you can become unsuccessful. Your money, you can have a ton, but it could run out. Plus, you could have a ton, and what do you have to show for it? So even the more treasure you fill in, what Paul is saying is like you just, you have this deficit, and it's like as you're, you're pouring it in, you're just opening it up, and all of it falls out, and you just keep pouring it in, and it keeps falling out. You keep pouring it in, and it keeps falling out. And so Paul Paul is saying like all of us are living like these people that have this treasure box that is open and it's not closed and we're walking around at the end of the day, we look and we just see, well, there, there's nothing, it's still empty. 
And everything that I've talked about, the stress, and everything I've talked about, our concerns, those are real. But at the end of the day, the reason that they feel so real is because we have this treasure box that we think is going to fill us, but it's just empty. And this is the audience that Paul is writing to, and this is the situation that Paul is writing to, and this is actually what he wants to say to us as well, because we're the same people. And so he describes this deficit as a spiritual issue. So there are real stresses that we have. There are real concerns that we have, and I don't want to discount that. These are real. That's what causes us to feel lonely. That's what causes us to feel overwhelmed. But what Paul wants to point to is it's spiritual. The reason that that we feel so much of this and we can't overcome is because we're dealing physically or emotionally or sometimes physically. We think as long as we can do this and feel better, we're going to... He's saying it's, it's actually a spiritual issue. If you don't deal with the core, you're going to be this treasure hunter that just has an open treasure box and it will always just leak out. And so Paul is building this case like there's actually got to be a treasure greater than the pursuit all of us find ourselves on. What I've described here is this is actually what humans do. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, where you live. We all approach life like this. Now, there may be different things that we write on the post-it, but for the most part, it's an open treasure box and it all falls out and it's, and it's empty. And so Paul describes this, this deficit and this, this is what he, what he says. If I can get my, my right page here. Ephesians 2, he says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he, he starts there in chapter two. And again, we're going to go back because he actually solves the problem before he presents the problem. So I want to present the problem and then we'll solve it together based on what Paul says. But Paul's description of why we are in the state that we're in is because why we are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So I don't know if, if any of you are, are I'm going to switch the analogy, but any of you like zombie fans, this is like the walking dead. Literally, he's saying is, is you're dead spiritually. You may be able to walk physically, speak. You may be able to think. You may be able to feel. But spiritually, you are the walking dead. There is no life. And you're like this spiritual zombie that has this treasure box and you just open it and, this is my zombie and put like, and you, is that, was that good? Like that felt a little ogre-like, but I don't know the difference. But you get what I'm saying. You open the treasure box, wanting life, but everything in there, it doesn't spiritually give you life because it's not spiritual. And Paul's saying it's a spiritual problem. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So the feelings that we have, the things that we face, the way that we solve it, we all are in the same boat, trying to just fill our treasure box. And again, it's open and it's leaking out. And, and Paul's just saying, it's like, the reason is, is because we're the walking dead spiritually. And so when he says that you are dead in the trespasses and sins, this is really what, what it means, like the, the, the human existence and the state of all our lives. It's all an even playing field. It doesn't matter who you are, 
where you came from, what your parents did. You're dead and I'm dead. Isn't that just an uplifting letter? Like, right? Again, he didn't start with this, but because of time, I want to just get to the heart of what he really wants us to hear. And so he describes this, this being dead. And so I just want to share really briefly a condensed version of the story of why this is the case. Why are we dead spiritually? And so I, I want to show this on, on the screen. The Bible says that, that God loves you and he wants you to experience abundant and real life. So the spiritual issue goes to our creator, the spiritual God who made us. And out of love, he made us. And because he made us, he actually has a say in our life. He is the creator. He has a say. He has a plan. He has a purpose for us. That's what gives him the right as the creator. So out of this love, God, as you can see the arrow here, he he wants to pursue us. That's why he made us. He didn't just make us for an experiment. He made us to actually know us, to lead us, to love us. That's not where our problem is, right? So why are there so many problems? Well, that's the second. But rather, keep going there, but rather than turning to God, every one of us began to sin going our own way, trying to be our own boss. And I think I've described this before, but what's, what's this guy doing to God? Talk to the hand. Okay, so back to this picture. God is saying, like, I love you. I want to give you the treasure of knowing me and leading you forward as your creator. And we're just like, my precious. Now I'm switching. Now that's, now you're following me, right? Zombie, Smeagol. We're just going ogre. We're going all over the place. But I got my treasure. It's my own way. It's in my own relationships. It's in my own money. It's in my own success. And we have a broken down treasure box that's empty. That's what it means. We are going our own way. Even though he loves us, he gave us free will. And this is actually why we're condemned and goes on. So the result of this this choice is separation from God. So we all live in a time where I can do what I want to do. How many times do you hear that in a day? All the time. How many times do you say that? All the time. I do what I want to do. I'm not hurting anybody. I do what I want to do. And God has given us that free will to do what we want to do. But just because we do what we don't or we want to do doesn't mean that there's no consequences to that. We're still left with the treasure box that we choose. And so as of this result, by pursuing our own treasure and not going God's way, we're, we're separated. So instead of experiencing, you can go ahead and show it, the life and freedom God desires for us, people are dead spiritually, cut off from God and actually in bondage to the enemy. So with God is eternal life and freedom, the real treasure. Outside of God, doing our own thing, going our own way is spiritual what? Death. The reason we're dead in our trespasses is because we said, I'm on my own treasure hunt, God. I don't need you. And who has done that? I've done that. Who else has done that? You've done that. Guess what? The whole entire world has done that. So in some ways, it's like, great, we're in this together. But oh, no. 
We're separated together. But each one of us has done this. We've gone our own way. So although we could experience that life and freedom, we don't. So this is why we feel stuck and disillusioned. So everything I've described so far in the message, at the end of the day, is because we're just opening our own treasure box to fill us. And we're trying to find life on this side of the canyon outside of God. You get what I'm saying? We want life here, but there is no life here. But isn't that the most frustrating thing? To want life and want freedom and to know it can never exist. This is the human experience without Jesus. People longing for life, for meaning, for purpose, for love, and everything they want. But at the end of the day, they're on the wrong side and they cannot find it. And they are literally dead. But we live our life and because we see physical, we just see people living and alive and we think, it's alive and everyone is doing good. But you know as you talk to people and you know as we're honest with ourselves that we all face the death of doing things our own way, of doing things independent. We love freedom. We love to be able to choose. We love to go our own way. But in the end, we're all in bondage. And so Paul is reminding these Christians, these followers, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't escape that deficit. But the good news is he doesn't end there. And then I've got, I'm gonna, so your destiny can change. So to remedy the situation, here's the good news. God sent Jesus who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and was raised from the dead. So if you want to know why Christians make such a big deal about Easter, which we're going to be celebrating in about five, six weeks, is because we were all dead spiritually. Jesus was killed and died physically, but rose again and conquered death. So spiritually, we're all dead, but because Jesus conquered death, we can have life. That's what we celebrate. So if you could see this very canyon, he is the bridge. Jesus is the only way that you leave spiritual death. Jesus is the only way that you leave slavery to your sin, to the feeling of just being tied to a treasure box that can't fill you. Jesus is the only way that you can have eternal life and experience freedom. There is no other way. There's no plan B. It's Jesus. He's the only one because he lived a perfect life, because he's God's son. He was killed pay the penalty for our sin from going on our own treasure hunt as zombies wanting to please ourselves. He's the only one that could save us from ourselves. So Paul is wanting to remind us the deficit and the problem that we were in. But he wants to get to this point. We're like, well, don't forget what it's all about is that we were not left there to die. God, out of his love, offered us a way to come back. So the rest of our time, I want to go back and talk about the good news. So without Christ, we have a deficit that we cannot escape. Here's the good news. I think this is the next slide. In Christ, we have a treasure that will never 
run out. You could put that one on there. I'm kind of skipping ahead here. So in Christ, we have a treasure that will never run out. So he describes this, this issue, this problem that we have. We have a deficit we cannot escape. That's the problem. You guys get the problem so far? Now, you get it intellectually, but have you felt the problem as well? Yeah. We, have you seen the problem? Yeah. We could look in the mirror. We could see it in our own lives. We look at our friends. We look at our family. We look at our coworkers. We look at our neighborhoods. We could see it. Many people are living like the walking dead. So a little, few verses later in Ephesians 2, this is what Paul says, but God, so you were dead in your trespasses. You're going the way that everyone goes, trying to be their own boss, their own ruler. But he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Okay? So Jesus laid his life down to pay for our rebellion. And what Paul is saying is, is, is you have new life. And he says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So back to this treasure. Without Christ, we have a treasure box at the end of the day that just leaks and everything falls out. And we open it, hoping for this great inheritance, and there's nothing there. And what Paul is saying is, is, guys, you don't have to keep living like the walking dead. If you walk towards Jesus and follow him, you will have life. And he goes on to describe this. You will have life that's even transcendent beyond this world, and that's what it means to have eternal life, that we are meant to live forever. And so even the things that we face in this world, all the hardships, we, we look with a filter. This is not all that there is. I don't have to squeeze every point of meaning and happiness out of this life because I'm made to live forever. There's something more. So it even just changes your perspective on this life. And we live this idea of just, you only live once and make the most of it. The issue is when you're the walking dead, it's just a longer time of just being frustrated with these treasures that amount to nothing. That's what Paul is saying is that there's actually something more. And so I want to just talk briefly about the inheritance that, that Paul describes. And we don't have much time, so I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. Now I'm going to go back to Ephesians 1. Paul starts with the inheritance. Then he talks about the problem. Then he solves the problem. We started with the problem. Jesus has solved the problem. Let's talk about well, what does that mean? So here's the implications of having this new treasure in, in Jesus. The first thing, there's actually three things. You get wisdom, hope, and power. The first is wisdom. Uh, verse 17 says this, that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so this idea of wisdom is being able to see what is really going on in life, like what is real. So what, what is real what treasure is real? What is worth me giving my life to? What is it that I'm supposed to be giving my, my time to? You ever wonder just what, what is it all about? Like, what do I have to show for my life? Well, wisdom cuts through and through God leading you forward, it's like, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to major on. This is what you need to minor on. This is how you follow me. 
This is how you, you gain traction in your life. This is how you can change. This is how you can grow. That comes from wisdom as God begins to speak to you, and he guides you through his word. So one of the, the riches of his inheritance is actually being able to see what's really going on. It cuts through confusion. And this wisdom is something that's not just for here and now. This wisdom goes on. It's the wisdom of God, knowing actually what is true. If you know what's true, you actually can build your life on what's true and what's real, and you'll have something to show for it. The second treasure is is hope. And I love this for where we are in, in our own lives. And this is verse 18. So it goes from wisdom, and then he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the words there, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Again, it's this idea when all you've lived is like the living dead or the walking dead, and you're dead spiritually, like you've only seen things a certain way. When you decide to follow Jesus and you take what he did for you to pay for your sin, when you decide like he is the one I will follow and give my life to, all of a sudden you begin to see things that you've never seen. And that's what's really hard because you want to see those things before you decide to follow Jesus. But what Paul is saying is you actually can't see fully until you follow Jesus. And this is why he goes back to the grace. It's again, not all the things that you can know or all the things that you can do or earn. Once you decide to follow, actually things begin to make more sense. That's really hard because we want to know on the front end. And God says, follow me and you'll know. But like, that's not my, I need to, I need it in writing. He's like, follow me and you'll know. And these are why these letters are so important. It's not like there's just this blank, confusing slate. Like we have descriptions and the path to move forward and we can find hope. Again, because of grace, That's real hope. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to earn God's favor. I don't have to earn the favor of other people. I don't have to try to be good enough. I don't have to just spin wheels trying to appear a certain way. I have hope. There's an inheritance that's not based on my own competence, my own power. And that leads to actually the third treasure, and that is power. I don't know about you, I need wisdom, and I need hope. And I think we all do. And all those Christians that lived in Ephesus and all the people that were seeing this movement of Christianity a couple thousand years ago, they needed the same things, and they wanted the same things. And so Paul is speaking the same language to us here and now. It's the language of our hearts, what we long for. And then he speaks on power, and he says this in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So it's by grace. You're not earned, and there's this hope that you have because of that. And then he says, not only can you have this hope, you can have this wisdom, but you can have the power to change. Why? Because the power is not in you. And how do you know it's not in you? Because you are dead. There is no power spiritually if you're dead. You can't do anything. The power is in Christ. Notice immeasurable greatness. Like you can't even fathom the way that that he can help. You can't comprehend. And then he says the working of his great might. 
It's so interesting, you know, the, the words like might, like God's might, you're like, well, that, that's power. But then great, it's, it's just using words to show us like it's not just might, but it's this might and power that you, you've never known. Again, it's spiritual. It's something that, that you know, is hard to even comprehend, but I don't have to do things on my own power and my own strength. And so go back to the stress, right where we started. Go back to the beginning of what's overwhelmed us. So much of the time, the reason we struggle with that is because we're looking at our own resources, our own power, and we're trying to solve all these things ourselves, right? Isn't that at the core? I'm just trying to do it, and I'm feeling like I'm coming up empty. I don't want to admit that to anyone, but the tank is running low. And that's because we're opening the treasure box. That's my life, and there's nothing in it. And what Paul is saying is, do not live as those people. You're alive now. And so I, I want to I close things out because of time. It's kind of heavy, huh? Like, dang, pastor, like Alex, I was... But we, we, don't, we don't talk about the realities of this, although we see it. In fact, one of the things that's happened because of just even this, like the, the pandemic of this disease is what it's shown is where do people place their trust? I mean, if I could speak plainly, it shows the heart of all of us. Because when things begin to crack, fear, right? Everyone's got fear and they're just trying to control it. And it's, it's again, going to my treasure box, trying to solve it myself. And it doesn't mean that we're not concerned, but it, but it doesn't mean we have to spin out of control. And that's what Paul's saying is you could face many things in your life. You don't have to spin out. You're, you're alive. You have a power, you have a hope, and you have a wisdom. Cling to that. Live like that. And so I want to just close out with, with next steps. And there's two different groups of people here. And, and that's a generalization. There, there's, we're all in different places. But there's two main next steps. Okay. The first is, and, and Paul knew this when he was writing this letter, Paul is writing this knowing that the church is going to be circulating his letter to all the people living in that area, some of which are not followers of Christ yet. Because again, what the early church is doing is they're living as these Christians in community saying, we have found life in Jesus and we're willing to die to tell people about him. We found this inheritance, we found this power, we found this wisdom, and we found this hope we will not keep this treasure to ourselves, And so they were sharing with all sorts of people. So Paul knew that as he was writing to this church, that by the nature of what they could remember and the nature of what they've experienced, they'd be sharing it with all sorts of people. And it's the same for us today. You may be here today and you have never decided to move from the spiritual death to the life in Christ you know what that is, like what I've described, you feel, because that's the life that you know. And the fact of the matter is every single one of us, we've experienced that because, again, we were all dead. But we have failed to get the truth of the Scripture if we just leave it as, your experience is like that because you're dead. Let's pray. There's no hope there. So what Paul is saying, you've been made alive. He's saying you don't have to stay dead. So I want to encourage you, if you today 
have been on the side of that spiritual death and of bondage to your own treasure box, and you know that it's empty, if you're really honest with yourself, you know it's empty and it keeps falling out, you do not have to stay with that treasure alone. God invites you and pleads with you to walk towards Jesus, to experience the new life in him. That's why we're here as a church, is we want people to go from death to life. And so if you have never done that, today you can decide to make that walk. And you go from the walking dead to being made alive in Jesus. And it's the best decision that you will ever make. Because with God, just because you were dead, he brings you back to life spiritually. So that's, that's the first thing. If, if you've never done that, today you can. And so you can mark, contact me about following Jesus. You can find me after service if you want to talk about that. But it's a decision that you make and you decide, I want to become a Christian. I want to move from death to life. I want to invite Jesus to lead me, become my boss, and I want to do life his way. You now have switched the treasure box that's empty to an inheritance that will never fade. That's what it means to become a follower of Christ. The second next step is for those of you who, who have done that, okay, you, you've done that. You've become a Christian. You've been baptized. You do all the things that you need to do. But at the end of the day, you're walking around like this. You know, Jesus, thanks, thanks for everything, but, and, and you're, you're, you're still looking for treasure here. I just want to encourage you there is no treasure that can outshine and last the spiritual treasure that we have. And so if you're pursuing success and money and family and your outward appearance or whatever it is to give you meaning, and, and you know if you are, because I struggle with that, and I know when I am, but if, if, if that's you, today just decide, like, you know what, God? I have gotten caught up in my own treasure box. And I'm pursuing the things that are just leaking out and I have nothing to show. So if that's you, what you do is you just confess that to God. You say, God, will you forgive me for that? I want to get back to the inheritance that I have in you. And so what that looks like is you, you, you take, and that's the second next step, is create space in your schedule to express gratitude back to God. And then the third is just specific. Is, is I, just, I just need help. And I need power as I face something. So one of the things that God does is he gives you things that you cannot do on your own. Did you know that? Why? Because he wants you to realize you can't do it on your own. And it's only when you get to that point where you get to things in life you can't do on your own that you're willing to actually ask, I need help outside of myself. And so you just may need to turn to God and say, God, I need your power right here. I cannot do it. That's actually a really good place to be. So the book of Ephesians is full of this inheritance. If you've never read it, I encourage you, over the next week, you could read the book of Ephesians, and you will be filled with a perspective that will change the way you see things. So if you've never read that, I encourage you to do that. I don't know, is it like 1 o'clock yet? It's time change. I've been talking. I, I'm up here for hours. It's 11.05, okay? So I'm way over, but I'm not sorry. 
Can I say that? Okay. Because I think that, that this is the type of stuff that's, this is what life is all about. So thank you guys for being here. If you'd like to talk more about this, if you're interested in learning what it means to be a Christian, like I mentioned, please come find us after the church. I'd love, I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing another song. We're going to receive our offering. You can drop your connection card in there. Uh, please fill out that connection card. That's how we can connect with you. And so go ahead and finish filling that out. Drop that in the offering bucket uh, when that comes by. And uh, if I've never met you, I'd love to, to meet you after service as well. And we're, we're so glad that you guys were here uh, to worship with us. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which in the middle of what we have going on actually shows us what is real. And in the middle of things overwhelming us and seems like are spinning out of control, we actually don't have to spin with it. We can tie ourselves to you, the true treasure. And we thank you for what you've done to not only make us, but even when we rebelled against you, you sent your son to bring us back. Constantly, we keep going on this death march, and you constantly keep doing what you can as our creator and as our almighty God to save us. Thank you for the work that Jesus did that saved us once and for all. Thank you that we do not have to earn it. So God, help us to see the treasure that we can have in Jesus and help us to keep our eyes on that treasure and just show us if there's any part of our lives in which we're treasure hunting in the wrong place. Show us, God, and God, we confess that. We confess that we look for meaning and worth outside of you. We look for our purpose outside of you. So in our emptiness and in our disillusionment, show us the life that we can have in you. So God, we thank you for being with us and for being alive. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.